Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. We have been walking through a series in the Ten Commandments, so we're going to start there today reading from Exodus 20, um, verses 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. And our second reading this morning is from Ephesians 4. Um, verses 17 to 32. So Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Good morning, everyone. Well, uh, the past two weeks, we've had a couple of sermons that have seemed uh, to be on commands that have seemed quite achievable. I mean, do not murder and do not commit adultery. But unfortunately, we then found that they actually went much deeper than that. It was about a heart attitude 
that uh, we were not to uh, murder actually at the, at the heart of that is an attitude of anger, selfish anger. And committing adultery, Jesus said, well, lust is actually just as bad. And today's sermon is somewhat similar with do not steal. It goes far deeper than that with our heart attitude. Uh, but before we look at that, uh, let's just have a word of prayer. Uh, thank you, God. Uh, we praise you for uh, your goodness and for the goodness of your Ten Commandments. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to gather, help us to treasure your word this morning. Uh, please, by your Holy Spirit, have it speak to our hearts. Uh, please convict us in the ways in which we can steal from God or others or ourselves. Uh, and um, we thank you for the gospel, which is good news to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the commandment, do not steal, continues in the same vein uh, as uh, the other two, and, and that is, it's about respect. So to love others, uh, we respect their life and we respect their marriage. And the eighth commandment is about respecting uh, the possessions that people have and their right to own them. Now, there's an assumption there that it's actually okay to have possessions, which might seem obvious, but some people think that, well, maybe as Christians we should sell everything, give it all to the poor, but it's quite clear in the Bible that, that God says to have possessions is good, um, as long as those possessions don't possess us, as long as they don't become idols. And so uh, God is concerned about possessions, and we see that just two chapters later in Exodus 22, where God, there's a list of laws about restitution if a, uh, someone has stolen something, how much they need to restore to the original owner. And we also see it as a big theme through the Bible, the fact that God gives us good gifts, uh, the fact that we have an inheritance in heaven to look forward to. And then we are to be stewards of property and of the earth. We want to look at the requirement of the command. So, so the usual idea, I guess, of do not steal is that uh, we're not to take someone else's possessions, uh, things that aren't rightfully mine, and so normally you think about robbers or shoplifters, but there's also theft of non-physical items as well. So in some ways, the eighth commandment actually fits into the last five, and they all talk about uh, things relating to theft. So do not murder actually is in some ways, do not take a life that doesn't belong to you. Uh, adultery is about the virtual theft of someone else's wife and, and even stealing into the sanctity of marriage. And lying, well, that sometimes can be part of uh, stealing from someone else's reputation or even from uh, robbing someone else of the justice they deserve. And covetousness, that really is the root cause of theft. Today, uh, we have digital theft. So you can pretty much, if you want any form of software or entertainment, uh, if you search hard enough, you can get it free. Uh, but this consumption is theft uh, unless the organisation or original author has released it free. But I want to look at three forms of theft uh, in a bit more detail uh, and just consider those for our church today. One is time. Now, time is uh, often more valuable than money, 
And one way in which we can steal time can be from our employer. So it can be blatant, you could just write something dishonest on your timesheet. But I think probably more common is when we work inefficiently and, and waste time. Uh, this can be just with uh, perhaps having long conversations that we could have just waited till lunchtime or... Uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have breaks. Uh, they're necessary. Uh, but a, a study showed that 89% of respondents said that they wasted time at work. Uh, and 61% reckoned that it was between 30 minutes to an hour of little bits here and there. And over time, that over a year, that's four full work weeks that the employer is losing. But we as Christians are to be known for our faithfulness to our employer. Colossians 3.22 says that we aren't just to look like we're working, uh, just sort of pleasing our boss, but we're to sincerely work, fearing the Lord. We are to work heartily for the Lord and not for men. And this is because we have a new allegiance. We've got a new master, a new king. We're not working for people, really. We're working for God. And as his employees, uh, and he is our employer, in a way, we can steal time from God, not just limited to the five-day work week or if you work shifts, but actually 24-7. If we think about uh, God as being our employer, it, it brings uh, um, us to think about the way that we use our time. Uh, and we can do this in uh, two extremes. So one extreme is when we're lazy, uh, we... Um, are misusing God's time. Uh, some people talk about killing time when they have nothing to do. But Ephesians 5 tells us to look carefully how you live, not un as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time. And the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 says that Jesus will return one day and he'll ask us, what did you do with the time, abilities, talents, um, possessions that I gave you. But on the other extreme, uh, we had a sermon uh, a couple of weeks ago about Sabbath rest. And sometimes we can emphasise work too much. We can have a too big a focus on productivity. And so our week is consumed with work. Work becomes our idol. But God rested uh, on the seventh day and he set up that as a principle that we are to to rest um, uh, enough and not resting eventually makes us less productive and effective anyway. But amongst this warning that we can steal time from God, there's actually a lot that we learn about God as well. So first of all, that God has given us a lifetime of opportunities to serve him and we are to use our creative talents and our passions to serve God and make the best use of the time that he's given us. And also we see God is not a hard taskmaster. He's not um, uncaring or indifferent. He says that we are to spend time wisely, invested in his kingdom, to work hard, but at the same time he says we're also to rest well. We are to enjoy his creation and people. The second way in which I'd like us to think about stealing this morning is our theft of people. Now perhaps this is the worst form and this is the traditional Jewish interpretation of the command, that it was about kidnapping. Uh, and this is expanded in the uh, Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24-7. 
talks about if an Israelite treats another Israelite as a slave uh, or sells them as a slave, then there's the death penalty. How is this relevant to us today, though? Well, the International Labour Organisation estimates that there are around 25 million people who are in forced labour exploitation around the world and around 150 million children. And many of these are forced to work in farms and factories and quite a high percentage are actually contributing to the clothing industry. And their low wages are unable to break the poverty cycle. But we'll come back to this and look at this a bit later. Uh, But this concern about slavery that God has tells us a lot about God's character as well. I mean, last week, the the death penalty in the Old Testament uh, was for adultery, and that was because of the seriousness of marriage and how God really values the family, and adultery affects the immediate generation, the extended family, and generations to come. And that's the same for slavery. God is deeply concerned about freedom. And the context of these Ten Commandments demonstrates that. Uh, The Israelites had just been brought out of slavery uh, into the the wilderness and uh, God was concerned about their freedom. And today we look back on how Jesus rescued us from slavery to our sinful desires. But thirdly, Stealing is not just about taking, but it's also about withholding something that is rightfully someone else's. Uh, Around this time, you're probably thinking about, uh, if you're organised, that is, filling out your tax return. And uh, we can, there's the temptation to exaggerate certain expenses that we can claim back for tax, or on the other hand, to not declare our full salary. But this is really withholding money that is rightfully the government's. We can also withhold money from others that they've lent us. And, but Romans 13 8 says, Owe no man anything except to love one another. But if stealing is depriving someone of something that is rightfully theirs, then to deprive the needy is also a form of stealing. Ezekiel 18, 7 to 8 says, The righteous person does not commit robbery, but gives their food to the hungry and provides clothing to the naked. They do not lend to the poor at interest or take a profit from the poor. John Dixon notes the structure of this verse. There's a parallel between robbing and between profiting from the poor. Essentially, to profit from the poor is equivalent to robbing, to line our pockets at the expense of someone else who is struggling to make ends meet is like robbing them. And the alternatives in the verse are to to provide for them, to care for them, uh, to to provide loans without exorbitant interest rates or maybe even without interest, uh, to maybe break even with business transactions. It's quite costly, but it shows God's heart for the poor. And this concern uh, about withholding things that belong to others tells us more once again about the character of God that he declares that we have the right to own things. Uh, and, and just as uh, this was true in the Old Testament, it's also true in the New Testament. The New Testament was known uh, for their generous giving, that they had all things in common. This didn't mean that they were communist and everybody owned everything, but more that 
in Acts 2, they had their own possessions and wealth, but they shared liberally. They were radically generous with non-Christians and Christians around them such that they were known in Roman society for their generosity. And I think that's something that we could do today. Now, if you're like me, you're probably feeling a bit uh, convicted at this point. I mean, who hasn't wasted a bit of time at work or uh, who hasn't sort of swung from one extreme to the other of either wasting time, God's time, or, or overworking? Uh, but, but I want to look now at why we fail, why we uh, fail through our lives, even as, as Christians, to keep this command. Because if, if lust is the uh, cause of adultery and uh, if anger is the root of murder, then what is the root of stealing? I think it might be covetousness and greed. And the Greek word for covetousness is, signifies an immoderate desire of getting. And that is the root of theft. Uh, Tim Keller says that when he talks about a topic like uh, sex and marriage, that many people are interested in asking questions, but when he talks about a topic like greed, there's a noticeable drop in church attendance. Uh, and this, I think, is because uh, we have a deep problem with greed. Uh, the Bible mentions money around 10 times more than it mentions sex. And it's not saying it's more important, uh, but it's more saying that we have a problem identifying it. I mean, Jesus doesn't say, uh, watch out, you could be committing adultery, but not knowing about it. But on the other hand, he says many times, watch out for greed, don't be fooled by your attraction to money. It can easily grip your life. Uh, he says in Mark 10, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy 6 says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And in the parable of the soils, the thorny soil is the one who hears the word, but the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. What does Jesus mean by the deceitfulness of riches? Well, it's that we often make excuses. Sometimes our greed blinds us to the ways in which we can be stealing from others or from God, and we just rationalise it. You know, uh, our tax return, well, it doesn't have to be squeaky clean because, after all, the government's got tonnes of money anyway. Uh, or we can use uh, something that we just find online um, uh, because, well, everyone else is doing it anyway. But when we think about these things clearly, they're still theft, but we can do the same with our theft of opportunities and, and time and abilities that God has given us when we use them selfishly. Maybe we think we deserve certain things, but 1 Corinthians 4, 7 challenges us to think, what do you have that you haven't received from God? How did Jesus keep this command? Well, he fulfilled the law perfectly, so he never stole. And in fact, that's the reason why he could be a substitute for us. Uh, his justice demands that our sin be paid for and he bore that penalty for us. But more than this, instead of taking, Jesus gave himself 
And that's a phrase which comes out around six times in the New Testament that Jesus gave himself for the church. And there are a number of aspects to this. Firstly, he he became a man, uh, which Philippians 2 describes the enormity of this. Here he was, a member of the Trinity, and yet he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And this emptying of himself uh, is not so much that he wasn't God anymore, a subtraction of his deity, but more an addition of he took on the limitations of being a human. And this giving of himself in the incarnation shows great humility and servanthood. But then he also humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on the cross. And so he gave himself to the extent that he died for us, taking our sin. What if I have stolen though? I mean, I've wasted time. Uh, I've withheld money sometimes when I know it actually would have been right for me to be generous. Well, if we can, we are to restore what we've stolen. Uh, In the Old Testament, uh, stealing possessions was not uh, punished by death as some other ancient Near East nations had. Instead, there was actually a form of rehabilitation, uh, which is the same in which uh, our prison system is modelled on. And so the thief was instructed to repay the victim a certain um, uh, number of times in proportion to what they had stolen. And this is actually what you see Zacchaeus doing in the New Testament. In his response to following Jesus, uh, he returns four times the amount that he had defrauded uh, his um, uh, victims of. And the good news as well is that stealing uh, and thieves are at the centre of the gospel story. Uh, For example, if you look at Judas, one of the 12 disciples, he was known for uh, taking uh, a little bit here and there from the common purse that the disciples had. Uh, And yet, despite spending so much time with Jesus and observing the miracles, uh, he decided to reject Jesus and walk away from God. But on the other hand, let's be like the thief on the cross, who, while he originally insulted Jesus, uh, he acknowledged his sin to Jesus. He recognised it and confessed it. And that's what 1 John 1 9 says that we can do too. If we confess our sin, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How are we to live uh, this command though? Uh, The Ten Commandments are not merely just a set of moral laws that demand our obedience and build credit with God. Uh, God desires obedience because of the foundation. It makes sense. He's our maker after all. Uh, He understands what's best for us. uh, And he knows what will bring the greatest richness and fullness to our lives. Uh, And obedience is also based on a relationship with God. Uh, These commandments we follow because of the faith that we know God wants the best for us. And so the first area that I'd like to look at is instead of stealing, we are to love and respect one another. John Dixon writes, the fundamental rationale of the eighth commandment is not so much the utilitarian aim of stable society, valuable as that is, but the inherent value of the neighbour made in God's image and loved by him. 
the more you value someone, the less likely you are to take what is theirs against their will or without their knowledge. So how do we, uh, why do we love our neighbour? Well, like us, they're made in God's image. They are supremely valuable to God. Each person has the capacity to reflect some of God's character. And these last five commandments can actually be understood in terms of, not in terms of the more negative do-nots, but in terms of fundamental requirements for respect for one another in society. So do not murder really is about respecting human life of any kind. And do not commit adultery is respecting the sanctity of marriage. And do not lie respects every person's right to know the truth. And in that same way, do not steal is about respecting the possessions of someone else and their right to keep them. So back to this uh, idea of, of looking at uh, it's a, a narrow application about clothing, respecting the freedom of others around the world and the millions of people in forced labour exploitation. Uh, William Wilberforce, one of the most famous anti-slavery campaigners who, who was crucial, actually, to helping the, um, uh, in the abolition of slavery in the British Empire in the 1800s, he based his campaign on the fact that in the Bible, no national crime is condemned so frequently and few so strongly as oppression and cruelty, and the not using our best endeavours to deliver our fellow creatures from them. So we have some responsibility here to help deliver people from slavery. And here in Australia, we don't see much of that exploitation, uh, but there's a couple of ways in which we can help. And one is to, in some ways, boycott the businesses that use slavery. Um, how do we know uh, what businesses are doing that? Uh, well, one way is Baptist World Aid publishes an annual report on labour rights and environmental management systems in the fashion industry. And they grade, uh, last year, the 2019 report graded 130 companies from A plus to F, uh, based on the strength of their systems to prevent forced labour and child labour and exploitation in the supply chains. And I was surprised to find that cost doesn't necessarily uh, correspond to the amount of exploitation. Even expensive uh, clothing companies may actually not pass on that profit down the chain to prevent exploitation. Uh, it's worth having a look, and I'm not advertising for companies, but just in the, as an example, Adidas and Kathmandu scored an A, uh, Big W Jeans West scored a B, and then there were other companies that scored an F. Um, then uh, we have uh, another way is to support rescue operations. So there are organisations such as International Justice Mission and they actually directly rescue people either from sex trafficking or from forced labour exploitation and we can support them through finances and prayer. Or another way uh, that many of us here in this church do is to invest in communities directly. So to support the education of a child to ensure that they get the education they need to escape the poverty cycle. And Compassion is a charity that, that does that. And so the good news of the Bible is that we're all precious to God. And this is to be our motivation, to love and respect one another and not steal. And in order for us to live justly, I'd like to encourage you to think about the ways in which you're spending your money wisely 
and not indirectly stealing or preventing the freedom of other people. And finally, we want to look at instead of stealing, the gospel says that we are to give. Ephesians 4.28 that uh, Lauren read says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labour, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There's a progression in this verse. It first starts with, let the thief no longer steal, what we're not to do, but rather let him labour, doing honest work, what we are to do, and then the motivation, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And the first pair are actually uh, stealing is in order to get or working is in order to get. So one is a legal, an illegal way of getting and the other is a legal way. But unfortunately, even with the legal way of getting, our motivation can still be wrong. We can still have greed. But the final one is the gospel perspective, as in our motivation is for work is so that we can share and give with others. Now, the world sometimes says, don't get caught up in your work. You know, work to live rather than live to work. And I agree, that's a good thing. Work is not our whole life to live for. But this verse says, that's good, but there's something even better. The gospel says, don't work to live, work to give. We are to be worked to, to be generous to others. John Wesley had three helpful rules when it came to working for a wage. He said, make as much money as you can, save as much money as you can, and give away as much money as you can. Make as much money as you can. Now, he's not saying to make money your idol. Uh, Jesus says you can't serve God and money. It's incompatible. But we are to be industrious and diligent. We are to use the talents that God has given us. And as this verse says, we are to do honest work with our own hands. And that gives us an enormous amount of freedom. It means that if you can, you can find a job that aligns with your interests and skills. And as long as the work is able to support those that depend upon you and is glorifying to God, go your hardest. And then we are to save as much money as you can, which means we aren't to waste money. Proverbs 13, 22 gives an example. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And the principle is that this requires careful planning, lifelong planning. We are to have a budget. We are to think about how we spend our money. There was a phrase during World War I that said, use it up, wear it out, make it do or do without. And that was, uh, a, that was due to shortages and rationing at the time. But in some ways, I can see it coming back in due to, to our desire to start living more sustainably, knowing the limited resources that we have. But then it also aligns with living as stewards of God's money. And finally, give away as much money as you can. How are we to give? Well, it's not just about giving to the poor. For example, Jesus said, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when the wealth fails, the friends may receive you into eternal dwellings. In other words, he's saying, use your finances to win people to faith and then they will be your friends into eternity. You'll make, make an internal invest, investment with your money. And I discovered another great set of verses in 1 Timothy 6, which I think summarises a whole lot of principles that work together in the way that we can think about giving. 
As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up the treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. It's helpful to see that this verse is saying it's not wrong to be rich. It's really, it's only wrong when we find our security in riches. And this also shows that any riches uh, and wealth that we have is all from God. God owns 100% of your salary, not just your tithe. And then to see that God intends us to use our wealth for good works, for generosity, for sharing, uh, not purely for selfish pleasure. And then to see that, that how we spend our money can actually have an impact on the future. And the, the best investment you can make is into God's kingdom. The returns obtained extend into eternity. So we need a long-term view. And finally, to live, to, to give is to truly live. To give is to reflect what God says in the gospel, that he was generous in giving his son for us. So just as stealing was not purely about money and possessions, but was also about potentially taking time or taking from someone's reputation or freedom, that's the same with money. Uh, it's not just about um, uh, giving in terms of money, uh, but we are to give generously of our time and effort and talents and abilities to further God's kingdom and bless others. So we've seen that uh, theft is more than just physical possessions. And we looked at examples of, of stealing time, of the freedom of others and withholding things that are rightfully others. And then we looked at why we failed to keep this command, that wealth is subtly deceitful, that sometimes greed grips our hearts and we, we don't know it, and so we rationalise what we're doing. And then we saw that Jesus gave us an example of giving rather than taking. And understanding the gospel means that by faith we can respect the property and rights of others as they're also made in the image of God, doing it for the right motivation. And then, furthermore, we're to be radically generous. We'll never be able to outgive God. So let us live to give. Uh, this is um, a serious time as well as we come uh, before God to remember, we need to also remember and, and confess any sin. So let's be like the thief on the cross and uh, confess our sin uh, to God and thank God for his forgiveness. Uh, and uh, let's uh, also remember that, that Christ gives us assurance through death and resurrection. Uh, I'll uh, just have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for uh, the giving of yourself, for your generosity. Uh, we thank you that you set the example for us in generosity and that you call us to a, a radical life of giving. Uh, we thank you that each one of us is made in God's image and that 
that means that uh, we can respect each other and value each other. Uh, and, and so we want to change parts of our lives where maybe we're um, either subtly hiding our greed or wasting our time or um, contributing to the exploitation of others. Uh, Lord, please lead us in the individual ways in which you want to change our lives. Uh, and now we come to a time where we remember your sacrifice and the giving of yourself for us. Uh, please help us to be thankful for that great gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.